It's been over a year now since In The Key Of Q launched. In our archive, you can find over 50 interviews of queer musicians from around the world and hear their music from rap Unaware of my proclivities to self-sabotage to country soul and rock. These episodes are available on the main feed. You can access them via the website at inthekeyofq.com or wherever you normally listen to podcasts. Hi, it's Dan here. Thanks for downloading this episode. Many thanks to our listeners who are financially supporting the podcast over at patreon.com slash in the key of Q. You are genuinely helping to keep the series in production and more importantly, to give us space for queer voices to be heard. Now, there's something a bit out of the ordinary this time. It's a special episode to complement the release of Wall to Wall Bowie, an EP of David Bowie covers. The collection is produced and arranged by Jeanette Mason with David McCulment and Sam Obernick on vocals. In this episode, I chat with Jeanette and David about the release and, of course, the magic man himself, David Bowie. Share your thoughts about today's episode, the pods on social media at In The Key of Q, or email me direct on podcast at inthekeyofq.com. And if you have a moment, please do subscribe, rate, and review the show on your podcast provider. All that's left to say is enjoy the episode. Hi, I'm Dan Hall. When I grew up, I almost never heard pop songs where men sang about other men, and it made me feel invisible. There were occasional queer heroes like Jimmy Somerville, Mark Almond, and Andy Bell, but really, they were thin on the ground. But these days, there are plenty of songs where I can find my queer identity, and this podcast is all about finding and sharing this music and speaking with the musicians who create it. Music helps us feel connected, feel heard, and know that we are not alone on our queer journey. You're listening to In the Key of Q. Hi there, everybody from In the Key of Q. Hello. I'm known as the flame-haired pianist. So if you could see me, you'd know why, because I was uh, blessed with this uh, crazy hair. So um, in the music world, people tend to know who I am. But I've been a lifelong musician. My parents were musicians, and um, I just have grown up with music all around me and I just love music in all its forms. And can you tell us what brought you into contact with David? Well I think initially it was socially I think we met uh, via a dinner but of course I knew of the uh, fantastic uh, career of David and uh, when I had an opportunity to kind of meet up um, and um, put a show together I mean it was a no-brainer to to ask David to to be involved. And David, was this something that you had been looking to do uh, further collaboration? Because throughout your career, you've done a lot of collaborations, haven't you? Yeah, uh, that's why I work. Um, I work because I collaborate. If I'm not collaborating, it means I'm not working. <laughs> so um, then uh, the decision-making is about understanding what it is that you bring to a situation and identifying the people who are doing something that you can add to while at the same time um, finding a space, a collaborative space where you can be who you need to be. Oh, 
jazz can for many people be a very challenging genre in that it could it can often feel so specialized especially for a pop audience now what the two of you have managed to do with wall-to-wall bowie is to make something that genuinely feels like it brings those two worlds together and i'm curious as to how you went about successfully doing that how did you work on those styles i think if the music is good, which obviously David Bowie is, and he had a lot of jazz influences in his music anyway. Um, so it wasn't that tricky to sort of visualize it in, in that way. Um, and, you know, between the two of us, you know, you know, David would have ideas, I would have ideas. Some of the, the songs were already sort of in a, you know, in their, um, beginning forms and then coming together to work on them put push them in a whole new direction again so um i think i think the jazz element of bowie was was already there for us to kind of just run with it's a great question and i think it comes back to what i was saying about the understanding uh the personality that you are the character that you bring to the material because the material is a canon uh, the great thing with people like Bowie uh, is that they create such a wealth of material and their passing is a bookend. And then you have this uh, bequest that has been left by this great artist and it's, all, it's, it's, it's asking you to do something with this canon that's been created for you to play with. So it's a great, it, 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 it's performative material. You can really... Um, you know, just cherry pick from the canon and do whatever you want with it. And Jeanette, one of the things that impressed me most about listening to the tracks when I heard them was it, it felt almost an insult to call it, to call the tracks covers, because to me, they felt like your starting point had not been the recordings, but actually almost like you had found, a, you know, a bag full of sheet music. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean that is very much my approach. Um, when I when I've answered this question before, I I really try not to listen to the tracks. So I do generally when I'm approaching uh, arranging something, just have the chords in front of me and just see what they give to me. It's very much an organic process like that. I'm not trying to take what was there and. Um, fit it into a mold i'm really trying to take the the raw ingredients and, and and almost start again in a way if that makes sense so um and sometimes when i go back and listen to the original i can't quite believe how far i've gone in a different way you know it's they seem almost uh like like different pieces of music sometimes you can't replace the music you can't replace bowie so i only hope that i um and that we have kind of paid homage in a way and, and not really wanting to insult bowie fans by doing what we do just trying to draw them in and, and give them a, a another perspective you know it's like putting another lens on the camera and saying well just have a look at it in this way maybe you never sort of thought of it and i think it just makes you sometimes think about the lyrics in a different way that you might not have thought about by just uh, showing them in a different light
He's so simple-minded He can't drive his module Bites on the neon And sleeps in the capsule And love Music was um, arranged and uh, sublime and easy to fit into and then as time went on and our collabor- and, and our working relationship developed Jeanette uh, would say uh, so is there any, anything else you want to do she would not budge on ashes to ashes <laughs> she would not budge which is okay <laughs> but we found plenty because like I said before it was a canon so there was um, plen- pl- plenty to work with but uh I'm yet to persuade her to let to, to let me sing Ashes to Ashes. <laughs> For the two of you haven't chosen easy songs. I mean, if I were in your shoes and we were looking at, you know, two years ago from now when maybe this started to be thought about, I'd have chosen B-sides and album tracks. Instead, you've gone for the big... You've, you've really put targets on your head with these tracks. You've got Gene Genie and Starman and Fame and Suffragette City. They're incredible big tracks. It's a very brave thing to do. I know. And now sometimes I think, you know, because being out there in the social media world, you you do open yourself up to criticism. And oy, oy, oy. I, I've already had a few sort of comments and I'm thinking, hmm, you know, how much of this is going to kind of come back to, to haunt me a little bit. But, you know, if you're not brave and I, 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 I didn't even think about it really, to be honest, uh, I, I'm, I stand by our choices to, to put those songs out. But there was that point where um, I was just uh, working with these great arrangements. And then there was the first night that we did it. <laughs> you, I don't know if you remember, Jeanette, but I was in bit. I was in bits. It was like suddenly it dawned on me. Oh, my God. People are here because they like David Bowie's music and I am doing David Bowie's music. Oh, my God, what am I thinking? I remember that, that first night, that first night. I still feel that sometimes. You're kind of almost waiting for them not to get it. But then when you see the reaction in the room, and you, it, sometimes it's palpable, you can see, you can feel the reaction in the room when people suddenly start to open up to the idea that, you know, we're not doing it the same way. This isn't going to be a verbatim concert of David David Bowie. Um, and it's a joy just to see the smiles on people's faces. We've had a an eight-year relationship with, with the hideaway in Streatham um, working there. It's been beautiful. It's been a real moment in the year where it's like it's Bowie week. And it's a special week because it's um, it was Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Sometimes it would extend to Sunday. But then that just meant that for a portion of the week, because it's 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 cabaret. It's like a Bowie zone. So I perform Bowie by night and spend the day looking at and thinking about Bowie and then have this wonderful um, journey with this band for three, uh, three nights in a row. It's absolutely magical. And uh, in that scenario, just to back up what Jeanette was saying, that was where we did um, Let's Dance, um, the version of Let's Dance that we do. And um, I could not believe that was, the, that, that seemed to be the crowd favourite. But don't you think that Bowie fans let you get away with it, the two of you, the three of you, because you are not sort of going, oh, Bowie can't be here tonight, so you've got us. In fact, what you're, 
you really are going back to the raw DNA of the content and then effectively delivering a style of the song that nobody but you lot could do. Uh, yeah, um, it was there, was, there was a lot of performance to it. Jeanette was insistent on that. Uh, she was like, uh, uh, Jeanette's very much about stagecraft and so on. So, you know, it's, it's the canon again. It's the, it's the toolkit. It's, okay, open up this Bowie box and you've got, okay, you can gender bend. You can um, flirt with the idea of astronauts and cosmonauts. You can think about Dada. Uh, you can be rock and roll or you can be musical theatre or you can be both at the same time. And you can um, be a man and pretend that you're an elderly woman with a walking stick. I mean, you know, it's so much in that Bowie box um, that uh, it absolutely gives a fan and I would say that the three of us are fans. Yeah. It absolutely, absolutely gives the fan permission to, like, you know, have a Bowie moment. It's almost like being a child and enjoying David Bowie and reaching for what you have. Well, I think that's what we learn from doing the show every January. It's just like, oh, let's, ooh, time to open up the Bowie box. Growing up gay in Wembley was not the most exciting of uh, experiences. And uh, just seeing uh, Bowie, someone who looks so left field, I felt more comfortable in my own skin, you know, as a as a 13-year-old um, lesbian. And it um, just gave me confidence, I think, just watching him and then, you know, going to see the man who fell to earth and starting to listen to his music. Um, I had a boyfriend at the time. I was pretending, you know, that I was straight because it was uh, an era when it wasn't very safe to 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 be gay. And um, so he took me took me in to see it, and it was just watch. It's just watch, just looking at him, someone who's who's visually was so unique, and then you know, and then getting into the music and having um, sound and vision on my on my record player incessantly. Um, I think that was it. Sometimes I kind of pinch myself that, you know, I'm in the position now where I can, I'm performing his music. And, you know, I've, I've got to meet Tony Visconti, who produced some of the early albums. And I'm now actually playing in the Holy Holy Band, which do do David Bowie exactly as is, as it is. It's kind of like for somehow in the last couple of years, everything, everything sort of, um, collided in, in a good way for me so that my life is very, very much dominated by uh, Bowie. But then I still am able to have my own, my own voice within that. And for you, David, what's your relationship with Bowie been? Well, it started the way uh, with the laughing gnome in the 70s. Ha ha ha, he he he, I'm the laughing gnome, you can't catch me. And I look at the years again and again, I left the UK in 78. And so I would have been exposed to Bowie up until that point. But the only thing that I was interested in, I guess I must have been happy being a child, was The Laughing Gnome. Then in the 80s in high school, I heard Let's Dance. 
And Let's Dance was like this amazing moment because in Guyana, it in the 80s, it was Duran Duran, Culture Club, Tears for Fears, all the mainstream uh, 80s stuff, not the like the uh, Human League and New Order. And, um, and so in that atmosphere, Let's Dance, like really cut a dash. It was like this mm-hmm. baritone livers It was kind of dark, kind of like, oh, this is a bit strange. And then I came back to London and I fell in love and I moved in with the guy. And he had... Uh, Scary Monsters, Super Freaks, and Diamond Dogs. And I listened to Diamond Dogs and enjoyed the young girl. They called her the Diamond Dogs. I was all like, okay, yeah, this is cute. It's kind of like, you know, a bit kind of a uh, uh, psychedelic stonesy way. Then he, um, you know, is safe in the city to love in a doorway and wrangle some screams from the dawn. And I was like, oh, my God, (laughs) Uh, that made sense uh, of where Let's Dance came from. I went to visit my friend Patrick, who used to be in the Kitchens of Distinction, and he played Win. And Win, 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 Win just, that was it. I was having a relationship with with David Bowie for life. That was it. Just like, okay, this guy is this guy has is everything. interested in art in any form you know whether it's music or painting or sculpture just to have a an understanding of, of process I think um, you know if you're if you're in if you're in, inquisitive about that I think just watch a documentary about him and uh, you know just from a purely humanistic point of view just he was a, just a, a incredibly interesting human being David what would you suggest would be something as a good entry point for David. A good entry point for David Bowie. Mm. Mm. Um, I would get, uh, I, I would look at Ziggy Stardust and I would take an interest in Mick Ronson. And because that was a really fiery relationship and that represents a transition from uh, stylish mod. Because there's this wonderful film that was found of him walking in the street in the 1960s dressed um, like, a, like, like, like a modern, smiling at the camera as he passed. And he represented in the 1960s the um, sexual liberation, but people didn't get it when he got it. I think the thing to do is to listen and become more, more interested. Good answer. 
this podcast is called In the Key of Q, and it's a celebration of queer musicians and, and queer ideologies. How do you both feel, starting with you, Jeanette, how do you both feel that Bowie fits into that? It's a, that's a difficult one to answer because I think that's a per, quite a personal question for him. And we can't ask him. So I'm I'm circumventing the answer. Ooh, Jeanette, that was sweet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice maneuver, Jeanette. <laughs> but in a way, Jeanette, aren't, aren't artists about how we interpret them? rather than who they actually are. Because in a way, when, when yourself and, and David appear on a stage, do your audience necessarily even care about who you are? Don't they just care about who they think you are? Yes, and you do, you can, yes, that's very true. I mean, some people build up a whole image of who they think you are. And, you know, it's when they meet you, you're, you I'm probably disappointing to them because I like gardening and yoga. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not living the rock and roll lifestyle. Um, you know, those days, those days have gone. But, um, yes, I don't think you can ever really truly know someone, but I think obviously through listening to his music and and the way he lived his life and what he did, that you get a sense of of the man. I think that when you ask that question, you're referring um, directly to what Jeanette and I did, because um, we're queer. And so we went, we came at Bowie, um, you know, with that, um, in, with that inherentness. Um, so um, I know, and I, you know, I've, 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 I've worked with so many collaborators. Uh, when I worked with Michael Nyman, he was like, um, there is no speaking in between songs. You know, um, the lyrics are not the lyrics, they are the text. I have created a compositional system and uh, you are uh, my um, uh, vocalist or, or whatever the term is. What do they say when, when you go to see a classical concert? Anyway, it's like, okay, this is... The, 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 I this... guess singer, isn't it? I suppose singer. Yeah, I suppose so. But they, they write something. Uh, oh, no, tenor. That, that, that's right. They'd call me a tenor. Oh, that's, that's proper posh. Yeah, yeah, no. So, yeah, so it's just like you know, stage management. This is this is what we're doing here. But um, with Jeanette in um, this um, successful uh, club, you know, out you know, going towards the edge of South London now with Stretton, you know, uh, with a particular kind of clientele, you know, and a, a, a discerning clientele. They like their music. They're not undersold. Big names come to this place. You know, all of that is going on. And it's like, I know that Jeanette was giving me permission to be more queer with this material than somebody else in that situation might have. The outfits went on, on an evolution, didn't they? Yes. It was quite camp and um, uh, lots of jewellery and feathers at the beginning. But by the end, it was quite punkish. Yeah. Ooh. And, and, and great. I mean, there's some great photos here. I wish, I wish you could see some of them. Some great photos of uh, David in his outfits. And, and I think I've, that's what I really wanted because I am a frustrated singer, a front person. So I always, I love working with singers because they can, they can be that voice that I can't be. And when you have a really fantastic relationship like David and I have had, it's almost like you become symbiotic because we do the thing together. We 
we feel we will, it sounds corny to say we become one, but I could not do what I do without him. And, you know, I'd like to say vice versa, we, we do compliment each other in that way. Oh, Jeanette. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm particularly curious about this this venue simply because I live in South London. I live in Brixton, near to Brixton Prison, and I, in the space of this call, found out that there's an incredible venue that's not far from me because Streatham isn't very far away. Could you tell us a bit about the venue and about the the Bowie nights that go on? Are they annual? Is that correct? They have been, but sadly, uh, the hideaway is now closed, closed due to pandemic issues. So, um, yeah, that, um, I, it, I'm afraid, uh, you know, they, I, I can't speak for them, but their last bulletin was just to say that, um, they will not be reopening, um, in the foreseeable future, which is very, very sad because it has been a unique uh, performance space for us over the last few, few years. So yeah, it's been it's been amazing there. Yeah, and and not like any other performance space in London. It just had. It's really hard to describe. I mean, I've I've played in in and I'm sure David has been. We both have played in venues all over the world, but there was something incredibly special about where it was, how it was set up, how the audience reacted in there. They had permission to be loud and raucous and join in if they wanted to. And then if you you could hear a pin drop some nights when David would be singing, uh, you know, a sweet thing, uh, you wouldn't hear a sound in the room. So it was uh, an incredible uh, space to work in. And I do hope that they, they reopen sometime soon. We were doing the Bowie show before he died. And I remember where I was that day. I remember exactly what I was up to. And I was um, behaving in a way that would have... Um, um, pleased, um, Aladdin sane. Uh, but, uh, yeah. And then I was in Brixton that night, um, dancing in the street with, um, thousands of people and really feeling the pain. And I remember that day, um, Sammy O rang me, Sam, the other vocalist in the show. And, um, the minute I saw her, um, number ID come up, you know, the tears began rolling down my eyes because, uh, Jeanette had created this amazing space where we could become these Bowie siblings, you know, just like, you know, oh, let's play with the Bowie box. You know, it's very, very, very special. And I was so sad to hear that it, you know, was closed, but it's preserved in um, Jeanette's EP. Yes, thank you. I'll tell you what, it's, um, it made London smaller for me, the hideaway, because uh, lots of people came from 
Wales. People came from Madrid. People came from America to, to Streatham to see that show. And there were some people in North London who thought, oh no, I couldn't possibly cross the river. They missed out. I do a big thank you to, you know, Brian and Roy who put all the effort into making the club run. So, you know, wish them best of luck. And we are very fortunate to be getting out on the road again in, um, can I do a plug? We are actually performing the show at Ronnie Scott's on August 10th this year. So, you the know- The show have, goes on. The show goes on. We haven't um, had a chance to perform in the last uh, 14 months, whatever. So that will be our first outing with Walter Wall um, at Ronnie Scott's on August 10th. We're going to close off this episode now, but before I do, David, I'd like to, I'd like to start with you. Yeah. If you were one of these advertising executives and you were given the, uh, the job to try to sell this artist, David Bowie, how on earth would you go about doing it? I think I'd walk in and I'd say, um, my guy has everything you could possibly want in a major uh, world recording artist. This will be an international success. Success. We just need uh, your um, faith, your belief and your backing. So come to a gig tonight and see what he does. Ooh. And what if, what if the nasty person sitting at the table went, yeah, but he's got funny hair. I will say uh, this is the artist that you do not have on your roster. And when he is on a roster, you will be upset that he's not on yours. Wonderful. Jeanette, what about you? I would say this person has it all. Style, fashion, attitude. Uh, what's the word? Compassion. You could use this guy to promote anything and the image would just be so unique. You really have to sign this guy up. And Jeanette, as uh, the EP is very much sourced and is your baby, what do you think should be the track that we use as our closing credits from it to uh, say goodbye to everyone? Oh, that, that's so hard. But I think the one that, that for me just kind of sums up um, the spirit. And although it is the ballad on the piece, it would have to be Starman because it's it's so beautiful the way that David sings this you can't help but be drawn in to the song so Starman would be my uh, choice of track Didn't know what time it was the lights were low I leaned back on my radio Some cat was laying down some rock and roll a lot of songs Sound it did 
Jeanette Mason and David McCullman, thank you so much for coming on to this bonus episode of In the Key of Q to celebrate your absolutely wonderful EP, Wall to Wall. It's been fantastic. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much, Dan. Great questions. Thanks for listening to this episode with David McCalmont and Jeanette Mason. Remember to listen to their wonderful new EP, Wall to Wall Bowie, on all the usual streaming platforms. There's exclusive content over at patreon.com slash in the key of Q, and there you can join other listeners by supporting the show's production costs for as little as five US dollars a month. Tell me what you thought about today's episode with David and Jeanette. The pods on social media at in the key of Q or email me direct on podcast at in the key of Q.com. Remembering, of course, to use the hashtag queer music and rate and review the show on your podcast provider. It really helps. Our theme is by Paul E. Nidu at unstoppablemonsters.com and our publicist is Paul Smith at paulwsmith at gmail.com. Many thanks to Kajen Kantha and Murray Lang for their support in making this episode. The show is presented and produced as ever by me, Dan Hall, and made at Pup Media Consultancy. See you next Tuesday. Mm-hmm.